and welcome to the Essential Property Podcast with your hosts, Paul Samuda and Amanda Woodward. With 45 years of combined experience in the world of property buying, selling, investing and developing, they are here to share with you their knowledge in the Stoke-on-Trent, Newcastle-under-Lyme and Crew property market. Let's get started. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Essential Property Podcast. And today we have joining us Wendy Whittaker-Large. And I've had the pleasure of knowing Wendy. I was counting Wendy for about 10 years now, I think, or something close to that. Now, Wendy is a property investor, a business owner, and a campaigner. And we're going to be hearing all about Wendy's recent campaigns and the success that she's having in the industry. So welcome to the podcast, Wendy. Thank you very much, Amanda. It's great to see you. Good stuff. Okay, so I think for our listeners, some will no doubt have heard of you and your experience, but if we could perhaps start with a little bit of a whistle-stop tour of of Wendy's property sort of journey, experience, businesses and so on, just so we can set the framework a little bit for the podcast. Perfect. So I started investing nearly 30 years ago. Oh, it makes (laughs) me feel so old to say that. Very slowly, I invested in single buy-to-lets, and I got to about 2013, where I had a handful of single buy-to-lets. I was in a full-time job. I had four children, very, very busy, but I wasn't really making the money I wanted. So I started to look around for different possibilities, different options, and I came across HMOs, Houses of Multiple Occupation. And I realized, ta-da, this was the strategy for me to create cash flow so that I could get out of my job. So over the next two to three years, I worked very hard on developing a big property portfolio, developed various JV partnerships. And it was from that I was able to leave my job, become financially free. Then Andy, my husband, he also left his job. And really, as I say, the rest is history. But following the development of probably about 60 rooms, I then ended up managing them all. And I thought this was never the plan to manage my own properties. So I set up a letting agency. So Best Nest is our letting agency that runs our portfolio. And then following on from that, I had lots of other people contact me saying, could you manage my property too, please? You seem to be good at this. So we now manage on behalf of other landlords as well. So we have quite a big portfolio of our own, which includes commercial. I've got a pub, a couple of multi-unit blocks. We've got HMOs, buy-to-lets, apartments, flats, you name it. (laughs) The only thing we don't do is service accommodation, Amanda. (laughs) Brilliant. Fantastic. So that's a great intro to all your experience and what you've been up to over the last few years and then of recent times when I go onto social media and I see Wendy's pages there's been a lot of talk about a very hot topic and that hot topic being the council tax by the room for HMOs now touch wood I can't find any wood behind me maybe on the bookcase we didn't receive a letter through the post in the last few years to say, we like this HMO and we would like to charge you a council tax for every single room in this HMO. Thank goodness we didn't receive that. 
but a few people did. And Wendy has a lot of experience in that, in terms of how that started, why it happened, and then her campaigner title to really sort of take on the government is, I think, is the best way to explain it, to make some changes in that area. So if we can just talk a little bit about that, perhaps right from the beginning, Mm. in terms of council tax by the room, and just share with us what's been going on on your side with regards to that. Well, it started, Amanda, because I also have a mentoring and training company. So I help other people create profitable HMO portfolios by mentoring and training them. And one of my clients about three years ago suddenly booked a call with me and said, Wendy, I'm really concerned. I've just had this letter from my local council. And it says that my rooms are going to all have individual council tax applied to them. Now, he just developed a beautiful six-bed HMO up in Wakefield in West Yorkshire. And they were all on suites. And it was completely out of the blue. Now, I had heard of this happening, but I had imagined this had stopped a long time ago. And this applied to older HMOs, maybe where some of the rooms were self-contained. I just not really happened. It really hadn't happened across this recently. But with Reese's case, it made me realize that this was now happening. And so together, we formulated a campaign to the VOA, which is the Valuation Office Agency for England that actually decides the the bans for, for property, and also to the local council. And we wrote this long letter explaining why this was the wrong decision and they shouldn't do it. And we were appealing and, you know, sort of strong legal arguments. And it was fantastic because it worked. And about two weeks later, we heard from the valuation office agency, they were going to overturn the decision and they were going to return the property to being one banding. And all the extra council tax that Reese had paid was going to be refunded to him. So he was absolutely delighted by this. And we took this as a real win. Now, ironically, a few weeks later, I received a letter from the valuation office agency. And it was rather perplexing because this letter said, we at the Valuation Office Agency have had a, had an, I don't think they called it an informant, but we've had a, an interested party write to us asking whether your HMOs on these different addresses, because they're all licensed, so they, they knew where to find me. We've had somebody ask to have these rebanded by the room. And I thought, can somebody just do that? Can they just appeal or apply to the VOA and ask the VOA to reband these rooms? Well, apparently, yes. If you are a, an associated party, you can apply for a property to go into a different band of council tax. So somebody who is to this day anonymous to me wrote to the VOA and asked for my properties to be rebanded. But the VOA said, we are not going to reband your properties individually for council tax. We're going to keep them on one valuation. So I thought, phew, phew, I'm out of the woods on that one. But I began to think the VOA are starting to become very active in this particular matter. I've heard more and more stories kind of on the grapevine, on social media, people suddenly saying, oh, I don't believe it. I've just received a letter from the VOA. All my rooms are to be rebanded. What do I do? How do I deal with this? And I was thinking, I don't know. You know, goodness, I need to learn about this myself because I'm probably going to come across people who are going to want some advice and information. And if I claim to know what I'm talking about, this is an area that I need to learn about. So I started to kind of ask some questions and connect with people. And fast forward another few months, and I had come across this guy called Darren Brewer, who's based down in Portsmouth, and his barrister, Alan Murdy. Now, Alan is the UK's number one expert on council tax, not just HMO council tax, but 
literally he has written the book he's written 14 volumes of the book so he really knew what he was talking about so together we we set up the HMO council tax reform group and we agreed that where an HMO has individual rooms as long as those rooms are not self-contained so they don't contain the elements of washing cooking sleeping and eating they had to have all four if a room did not have those four elements then it should not have an individual band for council tax applied to it because we would say that is not a dwelling we our argument was that cannot be a dwelling if all it has is an ensuite so that was where we started and we formulated an amendment to the law and we started a campaign we built up our facebook group we had people who started to donate to the cause we started to go out speaking at different events all of us participated in the group we then had other members join us so now the committee is about seven or eight people i'm the only woman on the committee at the moment so if anyone wants to join us <laughs> so yeah neil chadder who's an hmo operator in north london matt baker who runs matt Baker Properties, various other individuals joined us as well to, to help us in that campaign. And we built up quite a big community. And the Facebook group has been incredible, actually really proactive. We started to write templates for people to send to their local MP. We then put pressure on various different MPs within government to raise this as an issue. And Darren's MP, Caroline Dynage, was very proactive. And what she did was she proposed our amendment into the House of Commons this time last year. So that was a real win for us because it's obviously recorded. It's on Hansard. We have a video recording of it as well. And everybody got very excited that we could we were going to change something. Then the Department of Housing decided that they wanted to run a consultation on the matter. So beginning of 2023, we had this 12 week consultation. So again, we got involved by helping people to reply to the consultation. We ran webinars to explain what the questions meant because they were very technical questions and to try and help people navigate what their answer should be. We then waited and waited and waited, didn't get any reply. So we started up another element of the campaign, which was to ask your local MP what's happening about the consultation. We haven't heard because it had gone very quiet and we were fearing that it was going to go into the long grass as sometimes these consultations do. But again, fortunately, through our networks, Penny Mordant, who is the MP for Portsmouth South, I think, she heard about this. It, it came on her radar and she then decided that she was going to push this forward because she's leader of the House. She can determine what the agenda is going to be in the House of Commons. And she basically told us, that a decision was going to be made imminently and it was going to be put into law by the King's speech, which we knew was the 7th of November. So we suddenly got, <laughs> literally my inbox went crazy. <laughs> I was having hundreds of messages, you know, lots of things were going on. And it was while I was away on holiday in Cyprus that suddenly got this message saying, this is the law, it's going to happen, it's going ahead. And it was completely out of the blue. We hadn't we didn't know it was going to happen that quickly. So we then saw the actual order, the legislative order that's been signed by Lee Rowley, and it has now been enacted and it will take effect from the 1st of December. So from the 1st of December, no individual non-self-contained HMO rooms can be banded separately for council tax. 
if you have an HMO that has already been disaggregated, as we call it, you know, separated out, it should automatically return to being a one banding on that property. However, we are also recommending to people that they put in their own proposal to the valuation office agency, just as a kind of belt and braces solution. Because, you know, although these things should happen automatically, we know what local and central government is like. It's not the most efficient at the best of times. So we're recommending people do it themselves. But yeah, basically, Amanda, we won the fight. And it's been so thrilling and exciting to have made it happen. It's It's such an amazing result. And I know for many people, they have either had to close their businesses, have pretty much zero to negative cash flow. It's been a real sticking point for a lot of investors. So if somebody is listening and they have had that experience of being banded by the room, so the advice is they will hopefully be done automatically. If not, they're writing to the VOA. What are they actually asking for to the VOA? So Yes, if I maybe just go through those steps, the law and the advice that has been given by the government to local councils is any licensed HMO, if it has been disaggregated, you need to immediately change the status on your list to being one council tax ban for that property. So in other words, to re-aggregate it. But the problem is that it's actually not local councils that will be doing it. It's the valuation office agency. So effectively, the council has to communicate to the VOA, then changes it on their list. The council then looks at the list and goes, oh, yeah, that's now back as one band. They then reissue a bill for one property rather than five or six or seven or however many rooms that you've got. Now, we're told that this will happen automatically, but we just are not convinced that's necessarily going to happen. So you can find what's called a proposal form. If you just Google VOA proposal form, you will find the Valuation Office Agency proposal form and simply fill that in. And all you need to do is put in the details of your HMO, you know, the address, postcode, etc. And the reason is, on the 1st of December 2023, a new law has come into place to re-aggregate this property. I now wish to apply for one single banding for the whole property to take force from the 1st of December. That's when the law comes into place. And I look forward to hearing from you. And that's simply all that you need to write in the box that you have there. And what will happen then is in due course, You will get some communication from the VOA to say, yes, we have now put your property back to one banding and then the local council will be in touch about the council tax bill. Brilliant. I mean, that's just going to be just music to some investors' ears that have really been struggling with that. I'm sure you did, but I'll ask the question anyway. Was there a discussion at any point in terms of whether it was sort of legal for the VOA to do this? It almost seems like one day someone had a bright idea and everyone started receiving letters over the period of a few years. Were they right to do that? I guess well, I think law. that I think it's this is where the law is complex and certainly council tax law is extremely complex because what started out as being a property tax, and let's remember this was a reaction against the poll tax. The original intention was that every individual living in a local community would pay a small fee, a small yep. tax, to the local council for services. So it might have been £20 per person per month. It was not supposed to be a huge tax burden. But because 
there were lots and lots of objections to this. There were, you know, lots of people were demonstrating. The Conservative Party rolled back on it and said, OK, we won't do this. We will do something different and we're going to call it council tax. And now we're going to make it a property tax. So if you have five people living in a house or you have one person living in a house, we'll give a bit of a discount to the single person living there on their own. But basically, each house will have its own banding. And depending on which band you go into will depend on how much council tax you'll pay. Now, this had been working for a while with HMOs, whereby a single property converted into, let's say, a six-bed HMO, again, it would have its own single banding. But unfortunately, as we know, with law that has been on the statute books, and perhaps in this case, I think many people say has been rushed through, there are lots of legal holes. And what happens when those legal holes appear is that you have to go to court to discuss the intricacies. And you have to debate and the judge will be there to make a final decision and draw the conclusion and decide who is going to win that perhaps intricate part of the argument. So what had happened, Amanda, was that from 1992 right up until about 2003, it had worked fairly well. But after about 2003, what began to happen was that the Valuation Office Agency were creating their own policies, their own practice notes. And of course, if you imagine that there are lots of properties that you and I probably view day in, day out, that are unusual. So Mm. it's not a traditional house that somebody's just kind of, you know, three bed semi and they've used some of the reception rooms and they've used the bedrooms and they've created a five or six bed HMO. What about a property where you've got a shop and that then turns into maybe a couple of rooms and then upstairs you maybe got a couple of flats. So you would have had business rates on the lower ground floor. And then on the upper floors, you would have had residential, perhaps a band A for each of those flats. But now you're going to make it into one big property. Well, how do you value that? So the valuation office agency was getting more and more involved in more complicated layouts and more complex arrangements of HMOs. They were still HMOs, but maybe some of them were actually self-contained. So in the VOA mode of thinking, they were saying to themselves, well, actually, that's a self-contained dwelling. That should be an element that we disaggregate. So that is uh, liable on its own terms for council tax. So then what happens is that as that practice starts to become embedded in the VOA, then what happens is that, again, fast forward to about 2015, 2016, there's other case law that's passed that says that if you have an HMO, um, those rooms may well be considered as being separate dwellings, depending on the degree of adaptation that has occurred. So uh, what happened was we saw further extensions that were not, if you like, ruled out in the original law, but they were being clarified through further case law. But unfortunately, the clarifications always went against the HMO landlord. Those wins in case law always seem to be in favour of the VOA interpretation of the law rather than the landlord's interpretation of the law. So we get to this point in, I suppose, 2019, 2020, when basically any new property that's coming onto the list is being licensed, is usually being reported to the VOA by the local authority because the local authority recognised that the VOA can reband and may choose to reband. And of course, in theory, by having a six bed HMO that's been rebanded, you're getting six times the council tax. 
well, you know, which local authority is going to refuse that opportunity? <laughs> Not many. In truth, though, the reality is that actually collecting that council tax is much harder because you then legally gets it gets passed onto the tenant and very often the tenants don't pay or they don't stay and it's much harder so lots of local authorities replied to the consultation earlier in the year to say please put these hmos back to single properties because we know where the landlord lives and we can get the money from the landlord it's much easier than trying to chase six tenants so what it really backfired i would say the practice that the voa were implementing which I would argue was a misinterpretation of the law personally. And I've been to tribunals where I've argued that point, not yet been successful. I've got another couple of tribunals coming up. (laughs) Give it another go, Wendy. (laughs) The point that we've now got this law in place, though, I think does give some credence to that argument because it suggests that, you know, the government politicians, the, the people who actually make the law, have listened to this argument and they themselves agree that if it's an HMO, it should be one dwelling. It should be counted as one dwelling with one council tax bill. And they have put no limitations on that. In, in, in Originally, again, about a year ago, we had a letter from Michael Gove saying that he believed that all HMOs should be treated as one property, except in exceptional circumstances. This was his sort of caveat. So we kept wondering, what is what does that mean? What's an exceptional circumstance? You know, Is that going to be like a 20-bed HMO or you know, some other kind of HMO, what does it mean? What does it mean? And actually, there are no exceptional circumstances stated in the law. If it's an HMO, and we and it's taken the 2004 Housing Act definition, which is a property occupied by three or more unrelated people who share some services or facilities, if that's what you've got an HMO, and it can no longer be banded by the room. And it's fantastic. It's simple, straightforward, and it overrules all of the VOA behaviour to re-license those rooms. And I think that's really important because those loopholes of exceptional cases, that just leaves, you know, a whole gap there, doesn't it, that can be interpreted or misinterpreted. So that leads me on to my next question, which is, was Michael Gove sort of fairly supportive from the beginning? Did he come in sort of towards the end and just take a little bit of celebration of it or was he you know integral in in supporting your campaign well interestingly one of the members of the committee lives in michael gobe's constituency so this was extremely useful and one thing i would say amanda is if anyone's thinking of campaigning against something else to do with landlord issues (laughs) of which there are many (laughs) and we've got to decide what we're going to do next because we don't want to give up And we've been asking for suggestions and I must have had about 100 suggestions from people as to what we should move on to next. But one of the things that really helps is find the minister or the secretary of state who and find where he is in terms of his constituency, where is his constituency based and get somebody onto your committee who lives in that constituency, because then what you have is a direct line into the Secretary of State because you're a constituent, so you've got a right to speak to them, to have communication with them, you know, you can expect that. So it was actually quite interesting that John, who was on the committee, had written to Michael a few times and had actually had a surgery with him. So I think what, reading between the lines, I get the impression that he was very much aware of the issue before we raised it. He hadn't really taken any action against it. I think he 
probably thought it's a very minuscule part of his overall brief, which is massive, and hadn't really focused on it. But it was via our pressure that we put on other ministers and other members of parliament, cross-party. We didn't just focus on Conservative members. We had actually a lot of support from Lib Dems. We had quite a lot of support from Labour as well. So it's definitely a a cross-political issue. And I suspect that lots of letters, but I know this is to be true, that when we encouraged our community to write to their MPs, lots of MPs were writing to the VOA. Now, I think it's very likely that those letters which were replied to via the Department for Leveling Up, I suspect Michael Gove would have been told oh, here's another letter, Michael, here's another letter, Michael, what are we doing about council tax and HMOs? What are we doing about this? So while we didn't have any evidence that was happening, I would sort of intimate that I think behind the scenes there was discussion and communication going on about it. And I think because Caroline is very highly regarded in the House of Commons, she wrote to Michael Gove and that probably started the ball rolling. So I would say he was moderately supportive in the sense that he wrote a letter last year to say that he agreed with our position. So that was good. But I don't think that, and of course, it it would have been up to him to be able to, you know, insist that the consultation went forward. You know, he would have had to agree to that. So again, that was a good move, I think, on his behalf. I suspect that he wanted to hear the wider views of the community and, of course, letting agents and landlords and local councils before making a decision. So I think we have to give Michael Gove credit. I mean, whatever I might think about some of the other policies that... (laughs) (laughs) you know he's implemented I do think on this one he made the right decision so thank you very much Michael good that's good to hear and and on the topic not to go too political but I guess these subjects are very much you know in the political sphere at the moment the Conservatives have taken you know a couple of u-turns in recent months so if you wanted to call this perhaps a little bit of a a u-turn ish via the VOA We've also got the plan to move the energy performance certificate banding. You know, we must get to a C by a certain date. They've kind of rolled that back a little bit, which I think as landlords, we all saw that as fairly unachievable nationwide to hit that goal. And then also the rules around the sort of abolition of Section 21 or, or the changing of that. So I just wonder, I mean, there's a few things there for your for your next campaign. <laughs> I just wonder whether the Conservatives are perhaps rethinking their sort of we call it an attack on landlords really over recent years where they've just been making it more difficult and more difficult for us to operate. Any thoughts there in terms of where the Conservatives might take it for landlords? Yes, I think it's a very interesting debate. I don't have any particular insight, actually. I think they're flip-flopping. They know that there's got a year before the next general election. It may be a little bit longer. It might be that Rishi waits till 2025, but it's most likely to be October 2024 when we have a next general election. So therefore, they've got a year to revive their party's fortunes, which are not looking at all good at the moment. Mm. And, you know, large part of Conservative voters are people who believe in property rights and they believe, and when I say property, that's the term that we use, but to mean anything you own. You know, a car is your property, a dress is your property, a picture is your property. In other words, that law and order and theft is a key part of how we, 
you know, operate in the UK. Even going back to the Magna Carta, there, the whole issue that the barons had with the King John was no taxation without representation. And because they were being taxed heavily for the wars and so on that he wanted to fight, and yet they had no representation. And it was from that that our, you know, our modern parliament kind of starts to to come into form, and uh, you know, history then starts to modern history, if you like, is created where the ordinary person has more of a voice at a national level through their representation in the parliament. And I think that there are wings of the Conservative Party that would like to see far more representation, see far more democracy. And they would like to see that that voice of the landlord being represented more strongly. Now, I know there are organisations out there that represent landlords. Again, I think some people might argue that they haven't been as vociferous as they should have been, that they haven't pushed back as as hard and fast as they should have done. And I think we as a group probably have a bit more of that tenacity and perhaps vigour to do that. And perhaps we're prepared to be a bit more. I suspect that in this environment, which is very tricky for landlords, the amount of regulation that you have to navigate every single day and the power now that is out of your hands is a very difficult environment. And of course, what it means ultimately, the more that you regulate is the more that you put up the cost. And who eventually shoulders that price? Well, it's the tenant. And that's exactly what we've seen over the last year, haven't we? With rents rising to dramatic levels, the availability of rental stock being at its lowest level for years, landlords exiting the market. Of course, Section 24 is now really biting because not only have the Conservatives failed to raise the personal income tax level so you're you know at 50,000 pounds you're going into the higher earnings limit but also with inflation your rents have gone up so for many people maybe the last couple of years they've just managed to squeeze under that mortgage interest problem but now sorry guys you can only claim 20% of your mortgage interest against your running costs. And any other business in the UK is allowed to claim all, you know, 100% of interest costs. If you've got a business loan, because let's say you, you've got a hairdresser and you've decided to expand your business, you take it out a business loan, all of the interest can be offset against your running costs. But it's only in property where we can't do that. And yet, The private rental sector is a key fundamental part of our economy. So I think that the Conservatives probably do understand some of the complexities. And there are many Conservative MPs who are landlords. And I know that many of them are privately, you know, in, in real discord with current government policy because they can see the impact it's having in the market. And they're very concerned about that. However, of course, because we have such a large amount of our population who are renting their property, who are tenants, the government wants to represent their views as well. And I, you know, and I can completely appreciate that. I, it is a mutually beneficial relationship. As a landlord, you provide good quality housing to your tenant, gives you rent. It's a very simple transaction. And if it works well, it's beautiful. Everybody's happy. And so I do realise there needs to be some ability to to have recourse. There need to be some standards in the sector. 
I think we need to have some regulation. But I think the difficulty is when it goes so far that it starts to have that negative impact on the market, we really have a, a real challenge before us. And I think that's what is happening right now. I would agree. I would agree. And just to bring it down to a very local level, Wendy, I'm sure you have seen the same thing that I've seen in and around Staffordshire and Cheshire, is that there has been a reluctance to aggressively advance in the HMO space for investors for the fear of this council tax banding especially commercial to residential developments and the fear of having to, you know, say to the VOA, hey, I've just done a conversion. Do you think this will sort of spring some investment back into the space? Have you heard, do you have any thoughts? Well, I think that's a really good point. Yes, I'm hoping it will, because even though I don't want any competition, I want to, you know, rule the whole of Staffordshire and Cheshire alone. <laughs> you and I will have to go head to head on that one. <laughs> realistically you and I know that actually competition is good for us we might not always feel it but it is actually good for us it's good for the market it's good for the tenants and it's good as operators to have other people who come in with fresh ideas and new thinking and so on I think one of the so I do definitely think that this will now open the gates to more development because people will feel much more confident that they can develop an HMO and they won't have single banding on their rooms I think one of the challenges though is not just the council tax issue, it's also been building regulations and the cost of materials. I mean, we've been eyeing up a couple of developments recently and the costs make your eyes wince, (laughs) you know, because you think, oh, I can't believe it's going to cost me that much. Is it worth doing that development? Because unlike maybe developing in the southeast where you may get the multipliers and you may get a really good end value, we are slightly more limited in terms of capital growth in the north and capital valuations. So you have to play that game very carefully. You've got to do your due diligence correctly. You've got to buy at the right price. That's absolutely key. And you've got to make sure that your refurb does not go over budget because otherwise you are likely to be leaving too much money in the deal or you're going to you know, eventually have a property that just doesn't work for you as an investment. And it's all about money you put into your pocket, not money you take out of your pocket. As you know, that's what the point of having an asset is. So I think that there are other considerations now, aside from council tax, that may hold people back from investing. But yeah, I think if they can get a good deal, they can make the figure stack up and the end product is, you know, the quality that meets the need in the market. Yes, there's no reason why this market couldn't start to rebound and grow again. And as we see in our high streets, I mean, I don't know if you've been into Hanley recently. It's pretty awful. You know, not just retailers are leaving the space, but, you know, there, there's just such a lot of death really in the high street. and. The high street has to somehow regenerate itself. Well, what do we have a massive need of in the UK? It's housing, it's residential property for people to live in. So again, Darren Brewer down in Portsmouth, he's been really pushing this forward. And for him, he buys on the high street to, to regenerate the high street, but also to be able to offer housing. So I'm hoping that we might see that that side of things can start to develop and grow a little bit more. That would be great. And it sounds like that could be perhaps something that your reform group and committee start to sort of look and take on, because I'm guessing the biggest hurdle there is planning. 
would you say, in terms of the regeneration of the high street? I th- well, I think planning and building regs are two of them. Okay. I think I think you've got to also look at the cost of implementing building regs these days. It's also very high because, of course, insulation costs have gone up. The requirements have changed there. There's all sorts of new small regulations that have been, again, sort of filtered into the system, which when you then add up all of that that improvement that you have to do on a property, even if you've got planning, the cost of the refurb can be yeah. prohibitive. Yeah. So, yeah, and I think that, I mean, it's quite interesting, isn't it? Because in the budget, Jeremy Hunt has announced that he's going to implement p- permitted development for properties where there are, if you've got a if you've got a house, you can turn it into two flats under yeah. permitted development rather than having to go through planning. So that is going to be, you know, again, I think it's a very interesting that the government are recognising that smaller units of accommodation may well be the way forward. And that's exactly, of course, what HMOs offer is a smaller unit of accommodation, but where you have communal facilities as well. So, you know, that that's why I think for many people, an HMO just works exactly perfectly for their needs. Absolutely. It's always played an important part of the rental market, although I think some organisations have tried to dismiss it and, you know, and put it as a sort of a lower quality level of accommodation. But investors like yourselves, us, many investors around the country have raised that quality. Yeah. Say, actually, not only is it affordable accommodation, it's great affordable accommodation. Yeah. We have lots of happy tenants living in, in great properties. So hopefully now this just puts it more on the map for governments and councils to appreciate I guess yes and the thing is we're not building enough houses as a nation therefore if we're not building them then we need to split them and there'll be you know controversy around that as well an interesting school of thought I heard yesterday was you and I both know that if we take a sort of a terrace house in Stoke-on-Trent and look to convert it to two flats that's not particularly profitable for us it doesn't have a great value at the end of them because the flats don't have a huge value in some of the sort of Midlands and Northern towns and cities. And even from a rent standpoint, that doesn't necessarily work. So it sounds perhaps that might be something that on the surface looks like a good strategy. I just wonder how many investors will deploy that as a strategy. I guess time will tell and we'll see how that plays out. But I think at the moment we'll take anything as a positive (laughs) from this government. And I think to talk about if if there is a change of party in the next general election, I think we'll have to do another podcast on that (laughs) because you will certainly be having some lots of campaigns to develop. But there we go. But look, Wendy, this has been fabulous. I'm sure we could talk for another hour on this subject and (laughs) others. So thank you for taking the time to appear on the podcast. I think our listeners will take a lot away from this. And just from all of the HMO investors nationwide, thank you for getting You're very welcome. It was, you know, (laughs) such good news. So again, thank you. You're very welcome. Well, thank you so much. It's been great to be on you. And I think you need to come on my podcast, Amanda. I need to get you on and hear your life story because I know that's very impressive <laughs> as well. So, sure. Yeah, we thank you very do. much. All right. Thanks, Wendy. Great. We hope you enjoyed today's episode. And if so, please hit subscribe and share with those who you think would enjoy it too. To get in touch with Paul and Amanda directly, please visit their website www.essentialpropertyoptions.co.uk for more information. We look forward to sharing with you on the next episode.